0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. As Josh mentioned, we are on a three-year journey through the Bible. And uh, right now, we're attempting to finish strong. Uh, Actually, there's only seven weeks left to go until the end of our three-year journey through the Bible. So this week, we're into the final two chapters of the book of Acts, and it includes some high-seas adventure for the Apostle Paul. But at the same time, we are reminded that uh, Paul's adventures are are, uh, part of a much bigger ongoing story of God's high-stakes mission. Through his church, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So, uh, just before we jump into Acts chapter uh, 27, will you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for those who are taking this time and, and joining together today with uh, within this uh, these moments to uh, worship you and to consider. This important part of your word, we pray that you would bless our time together. We pray that you would, and you have done that already, Lord, but we pray that you just speak to us now through your word, and that we would um, go away today just encouraged with um, what you have for us this day from your word, and we thank you for your your message to us. Uh, In Jesus' name. Amen. So, we've got two chapters, the last two chapters of Acts we're going to be talking about today. And in uh, the uh, incident that took place in Acts chapters 21 through 23 uh, at Jerusalem, we looked at that. And then Felix, the, the crooked governor, kept Paul under uh, arrest, under guard at the palace in Caesarea for two years and then after two years, Felix was replaced as governor by Festus. And uh, that's twenty-five Acts 25 and 26. And uh, when Festus suggests uh, that Paul be sent back to Jerusalem to face his accusers there, where he would certainly be lynched, uh, Paul appeals to Caesar. And Festus says... To Caesar, you will go. Um, Meanwhile, God had already told Paul he was going to Rome. Uh, Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, So, Festus charges a centurion named Julian, or Julius, sorry, Julius, to uh, transport Paul along with a number of other uh, prisoners to Rome. And that's where we pick up today in Acts chapter 27. If you will uh, turn there with me, Acts chapter 27. And um, they barely get underway when it says in verse 3, The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Not exactly a real strict guard there, uh, but it's an indication to us uh, really immediately in the text uh, of some of the appreciation that Julius has uh, towards Paul. And as we've already noted in our studies of, of the book of Acts, uh, the relationship between Paul and the Romans. And uh, in relation to that, the relationship between the Gentiles and the gospel. It's all on display here in this, this account uh, that Luke's writing. So here's, so here it is again. And when, so then when they sail again, they sail past um, Cyprus. Uh, that's where Barnabas was from, you might recall. It's also the first stop on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Then they sail along the coast of Cilicia. That's Paul's home province where Tarsus is. And they sail past Pamphylia. That's the main area of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary work and journey. And it says that in the passage there that uh, they sailed on to the port of Myra in Lycia. Lycia was in Asia. That's where Ephesus was, where Paul spent longer than any other place on his missionary journeys. So they're going by all these these places, these uh, familiar places from our storyline. And verses 6 through 8, it says, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off uh, Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete, off uh, Salmone, coasting along it with uh, difficulty, we came to a place called Fairhavens, near which was the city of Lycia. Now, I know these place names always throw people, right? But uh, let's bring up the map and just have a look here. Uh, so there's Caesarea somewhere, there it is. Uh, there's Cyprus, okay, and there's Cilicia. So here they're going up the coastline, Phamphilia, Lycia. And so they're making their way up along the coastline here. There's Nidus there, all right? And then from Nidus, they try to continue up the coastline, but they run into some, some, uh, some difficulty, and uh, they end up uh, sailing. You see Crete there? You see the island of Crete there? All right, so that's uh, where they're sailing south uh, uh, of Crete. And then in verse 9 through 15, it says, Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the feast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. That's not the kind of news that uh, you would welcome, right? But... Uh, Verse 11 says, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, which is not unreasonable, uh, but it does show that his confidence in Paul is not uh, yet where it probably is going to end up being before the end of this uh, excursion. Gilligan's Island comes to mind when I read this passage. I don't know about you guys. but uh, Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in. That's part of the logic, for sure. The majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow uh, they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, so this would be on the other shore, facing both the southwest and the northwest, and spend the winter there, because that's what they're trying to do, is get the winter in, because it's not the time of year you want to be sailing across the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But a te- tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Which is another way of saying completely out of control. All right? All right? So let me summarize for you a bit of what happens after this. Uh, what happens next is the, the storm gets so bad that they end up throwing the cargo overboard, it says in verse 18. And then on the third day, they throw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, it says in verse 19. Now that can't be good, all right? Uh, Luke goes on to say that they went many days without seeing the sun by day nor the stars by night. Try to... Put yourself in their their shoes and think about what that would be like. It says in verse 20 that it it got so bad that they had lost all hope. It says they lost all hope of surviving in verse 20. And then they stopped eating because they were hopeless. Don't just hear those words. Put yourself in their shoes. As we read on, we we discover that they spent 14 days... Being storm-tossed on this sea, and uh, the situation was, was just hopeless if you could put yourself there. Maybe some of you can. Maybe some of you have had experience like this, but maybe for a lot of us, it's hard for us to imagine what it'd be like. But try to imagine what it would be like. And then that's when Paul stands up. And in verse 27, or it's verse 21, rather, of chapter 27, it says, "Since they had been without food for a long time." Paul stood up among them and he said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, uh, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I serve and to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid. Paul, that's what angels always say you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God, and this is really cool, this is significant. Behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, man, for I have faith in God, listen to these words, that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So the good news is everybody's gonna be saved. The bad news is We're going to crash. Uh, Do you remember when Paul had a similar experience to this back, I mentioned this earlier, back when he was in Jerusalem and there was an angel that stood uh, by him at night and said, Paul, you're going to go to Rome. Don't be afraid. You're going to go to Rome. So uh, Acts 23 verse 11. The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. This is the reference from 23. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So this time, there are 276 souls involved. That's verse 37. And Paul has promised all their lives. Uh, Luke tells us they spent 14 days and nights like this, if you can imagine that. And then the night comes and the sailors start to sense land. Must be a sailor thing, right? That's what it says. It just says they just kind of sensed that they were they were getting close to land. So they started sounding. That's that, that uh, method of determining the depth of the water uh, by using uh, vibrations that come, that come back from the ocean floor. Pretty, pretty neat that that technology is that old. But, uh, the, and they were right, because when they started to sound, they realized that the water was getting shallower and shallower. So they dropped all the anchors, and they prayed for daylight. If you can imagine. So, there are two more instances recorded here where Julius shows favor to Paul. Uh, But we really start to get uh, the sense that Julius is starting to realize uh, that he is on the receiving end of favor from God because of Paul. And that kind of comes out in the text as, uh, as you read it through there. And then the ship ends up wrecking on an island reef, just like Paul said it would, just like the angel of the Lord told Paul it would. And uh, they don't know where they're at, but it turns out it's an island called Malta. And the text says that everyone, verse 44, everyone was brought safely to land. Why is that so important? Well, if you're one of the 276 souls, it's important because you don't want to die. Um, But for us reading this account uh, and struggling to put ourselves in their shoes, if you will, it's important because what God says is going to happen happens just like the Lord said. So they end up wintering on this island, the island of Malta. Paul gets, ends up getting bitten by a, a poisonous snake. And you have to wonder when you're reading through here uh, why all this stuff is happening. Don't you? When you read through this, do you wonder? Like God says, Paul, you're going to Rome. And, and Paul probably by this point, would he not be saying, Lord, you know, this is not Rome. And, you know, when you look back, uh, do you find yourself asking the question, you know, why couldn't God just take Paul to Rome? Like, well, why, why the mobs, why the beatings, why the death threats, the arrests, the chains, the trials, uh, the storm-tossed sea? If you can try to imagine that, a shipwreck, a snake bite, like, Why? You know, as I read through this, two things stand out to me. One thing that stands out to me is the opposition that this mission faces. Remember, Paul is on mission, right? Don't forget that because that's critical to our understanding and appreciation for the account of the Acts of the Apostles, as we have it delivered to us from the Lord. Paul's on mission, and the word of God is on mission. Do you remember, remember that? That Those passages throughout where it says the word uh, prevails. Um, so th- the mission is opposed. Listen, the mission is being opposed by the enemy of men's souls. Because what is the mission? The mission is to take the gospel to the world. And, and it is the gospel, Paul says, in Romans chapter 1, that, that, that by which we are saved. Then it's the only way, Acts chapter 4, there is no other name given amongst men, whereby we must be saved, but by the name of Jesus. And so this is, a, this is not only a critical mission, this is the critical mission. But there's opposition to the mission. And we... Uh, can't afford to forget that. The second thing that stands out to me here is, and it's not unrelated to the first, is that there is a a cost to be paid. This great drama we see, uh, the word of God prevailing the word of God prevailing, whether that's God's personal word to Paul about his sufferings and about, about his trip to Rome and about all of these other things, or whether it's that, that uh, the word of God in the, in, the, in, the, in the sense of the gospel message that's being carried to the ends of the, war, of the earth by his church. Either way, the word of God is prevailing, but not without great personal cost To his servants. And both of those things are really important. Do you remember in Acts chapter 9 when God sent Ananias to Paul, Ananias of Damascus to Paul, and he said, the Lord said to him in verse 9, or sorry, chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So opposition, and at the same time, cost. I think we, we should think about those things as those who bear his name, as those who are on mission for him. You know, you, you read through these passages, and, uh, and you, you find yourself wondering at times, why, why couldn't God just take Paul to Rome? Why all of this stuff? And how many of you know that life isn't like that? That God's ways are not our ways. That life doesn't go the way we think it should. (laughs) Because his ways are not our ways. And his ways are, uh, the scripture says, his ways are as far above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. Uh, As it turns out, the chief man of this island um, of Malta is a guy named Publius, whose father was sick with a, a fever and dysentery. You know, I didn't know what dysentery was. I had to look it up, because we don't talk about it very much anymore, but it says it's an intestinal infection that causes bloody diarrhea. So we'll leave that there. Um, if you can imagine the situation, Paul prays, puts his hands on him, and heals him. Just like that, the text says. And then it says in verses nine and ten. Now we're in Acts chapter twenty-eight, verse nine and ten. And when that had taken place, the rest of the people on the island—you can imagine—who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail. They put on board whatever we needed. So I guess we could say that we should perhaps be thankful that God's ways are not our ways. They spend three months on this island, God's detour. And when winter passes, they set sail once again for Italy. So they set sail for Italy. They go via Syracuse, uh, Regium and Putioli let's have another look at the map we are, where are we at here so there's uh, Crete and there's Malta over there 14 days of complete sheer terror and despair and they end up on the island of Malta they winter there and then they go south. Syracuse, Regium and there's Putioli in Italy there's Rome right there Okay, that's a big map, and that's a long ways. That's a lot of ground. That's an incredible story. That's an incredible mission. Uh, and but here they are, right? Here they are. Let's see. Where am I here? Um, Acts twenty-eight verse fourteen. There we found brothers, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And here again, uh, Ju- Julius is uh, showing his, uh, you know, his uh, sense of. Um, Appreciation or confidence in, in 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 Paul, Um, and then but then the last the last uh, six words there of chapter twenty eight verse fourteen and so we came to Rome. Chapter twenty eight verse sixteen and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. That's verse sixteen Acts twenty eight verse sixteen. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who, who guarded him. So he's, he's uh, being guarded, but it's like house arrest, okay? He's under house arrest in, in Rome. And um, after three days, recouping maybe, I don't know, but he calls the leaders. Paul calls the leaders of the local Jewish community, and they set up a time to meet with, he sets up a time to meet with them. And uh, we're gonna pick up in in chapter 28, verse 23. We're getting close to the end of the book of Acts now, right? We're in the final verses here. Acts 28, 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning, excuse me, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, look at these words, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So take note, testifying to them of the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from scripture, from the Old Testament scriptures. Now we're going to revisit those, that, the, that in a moment because it's really important. But uh, the passage goes on to say that some believed... But some, and by implication, maybe most, did not. And as they were disagreeing among themselves and preparing to leave, Paul makes this statement, quoting Isaiah chapter six. You know the passage in Isaiah chapter six where uh, it says, "I was in the year that King Uzziah died. I was I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty." The whole earth is full of his glory. That passage, Isaiah chapter 6. Paul quotes, uh, quotes it, and he does it in a way as saying it's being fulfilled. Uh, that what God said there in Isaiah was happening. And this was fulfilling God's words. That just like God said, so it was happening. And uh, he says uh, 28. Verse 25, 26, 27. Let's read that. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. It's really interesting, and we don't have time to go into it this morning, but um, this passage is quoted in all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, by Jesus, in reference to the rejection uh, he experienced from the leaders of the nation of Israel. And Paul here is quoting it in exactly the same manner. And it's, it is actually an interesting study to read those different um, appearances of that Isaiah passage in the New Testament. But let's say we don't have uh, time to get into that right now. But but notice what Paul says next, because this is no surprise. It should be no surprise to us as we've been studying through the book of Acts. The next thing Paul says um, is in verse uh, uh, 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So this is an important theme of the book of Acts. And we took uh, a bit of a look at this back on June 13th when we were in Acts 21, 22, and 23 at the whole uh, idea of, of the gospel being presented to the, the Jews first, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, to the Jews first as a matter of principle. But then the theological implications of the rejection of the gospel by the nation of Israel, as it relates to the time, what, what Scripture calls, what Paul calls in Romans chapters uh, nine through eleven, the time of the Gentiles. So these are these are significant uh, things uh, when you think about Bible prophecy or eschatology as well. But um, it's a matter of principle that the gospel go first to the Jews, uh, but. Uh, though many of the Jews did accept Christ, the leadership of the nation, in general terms, did not. But the Gentiles, that's a different matter. And that's an emphasis in the book of Acts. That's why Paul is in Rome. Because Rome, at this time, is the center of the earth. It's the capital of the world. And, and then uh, Paul makes this final comment. Let's take a look at... Uh, Verse 30 and 31 of Acts 28 says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's how the book of Acts concludes. Now remember, if you will, back in verse 23... It says there, when Paul spoke to the Jews uh, in Rome, the Jewish leaders, um, he spoke to them of, it says, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. So this now is sort of a summation of Paul's messaging, because it says here in verse 30, he. he, uh, or verse 31, sorry, he says he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that there? So uh, this is a summation of Paul's messaging. And we need to understand this. And here's something that will help us understand this. Now, we did not cover this when we came through because it's hard to cover all, all the whole Bible in three years and touch on everything. So I think the Former three-year cycle through the curriculum uh, took us through Acts chapter 20, but this year we didn't go through, this time we didn't go through Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, it was where Paul meets with the elders from Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. And uh, he he gives them a, a farewell talk there. He tells them they 're never going to see his face again i don 't know if you read through. I hope you read through this. I hope you 're not just reading the parts just that we 're able to speak on you 're reading all through. But if you read through there, you might recall this. but I want to take you back just really quickly to Acts chapter twenty because there is a a, a a larger summation of the messaging of Paul. So take a look at this. This is helpful. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through, through 27. Read it with me. Now, behold, he says to the, the elders of Ephesus, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. No kidding. That's the opposition, and that's the cost, Right? But I do not, verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. The mission matters. And the mission has a message. What's the message? He says to testify to, notice two things, the gospel of the grace of God and now, behold, I, am, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So we have the same two things there. The gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of grace that's found in Jesus Christ, and the uh, proclamation uh, of the kingdom. And then it says in verse 26, take a look at verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So, these statements give us insight into what Paul was doing in Rome for two years when it says that he uh, proclaimed the kingdom of God to them and he talked to them about Jesus. Now, some have tried to suggest. That Paul and Jesus didn't share the same messaging. Some people will read scripture and they'll point out to you and they'll say, "You know, Paul's message wasn't the same message as Jesus' message because Paul, or uh, sorry, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, whereas Paul preached the gospel of grace." Well, Jesus did proclaim uh, the kingdom of God because he was the son of David, uh, the Messiah, King of Israel. And he talked about the greatness and the glory of the kingdom of heaven with justice and mercy for all. How many times did Jesus say these words, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like? If you've read through the gospels, you know it was many, many, many times. Now, for the sake of time, we don't have time to do this. But back a few years ago, I put together three slides, three slides that do a comparison, if, if Aiden, if you could bring those up for me right now, that'd be, be good. They do a comparison of the teachings of Paul from the book of Romans to the teachings of Jesus in the gospel accounts. Now, you can see there's a number of them there. That's one slide. There's actually three slides like that. We don't have time to go through it, but if you, uh, we maybe will be able to post them on our social media, or if you want, uh, just send me a note and I'll send them to you. Because you will be absolutely um, uh, struck by the the, uh, correspondence. You okay there, Chris? (laughs) You'll be struck. I didn't mean that literally. Struck by the correspondence between the teaching of Jesus in the gospel accounts and the teaching of Paul in the letter to the Romans. It's, it's quite spectacular, really. And we don't have time to, to go through it today. But, but I, will, I will say to you, though, that there is no um, real difference between what Jesus proclaimed and taught and what Paul uh, proclaimed and, and taught. Um, those last two verses... He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Boldness is a theme in Acts. And the boldness of Paul here, along with the triumph of the word of God, results in that resulted in the gospel being taken to the world forms a, a conclusion of sorts for Luke's writing. Um, we looked a little bit about, at that back when we were talking about chapter 12. That's where uh, Herod has James beheaded and Peter thrown in, in jail. When we were covering that, we talked about the passages in the book of Acts where it talks about the word of God prevailing um, and, and the boldness of his servants. Um, hang hang with me for a bit longer here. Uh, Acts chapter four, verse twenty-nine to thirty-one. And I know we're going back, but we're at the conclusion at the of the book of Acts, right? So if you go back to chapter four, verse 29-31, after the, the apostles were threatened for the first after the first really big incident that took place from the preaching of the gospel, uh, they've had a prayer time. Remember that? It says, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And then verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In chapter 6, we're told the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. In chapter 12, we're told that the word of God increased and multiplied. In chapter 13, we're told that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. In, Acts, in, in chapter uh, 19, we're told that the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. And I made the comment back when we were in chapter 12 that somebody else had said if, if, there were, if Acts... Uh, was a was a song. This would be the chorus, the refrain. Boldness has been a theme throughout, but connected with this proclaiming of the word of God. And here, this statement, "without hindrance," is like a a victory statement. It's positioned at the end of the book of Acts like a victory statement. Here's the apostle Paul in Rome. Yes, he's in chains. But the word of God is not hindered. Uh, He's he's able to entertain people and and, and, uh, he's here in the capital of the world in a day uh, when it was the center of people coming and people going. You know, just this past week, I don't know if you heard this or not, but just this past week, I heard something on the news about them discovering another Uh, Roman Road, Uh, this time was in Bosnia, And, and when I heard it, I thought, well, that's interesting. I should Google that, so I did what we tend to do these days. I pulled up my phone, and I Googled recent discovery of Roman Road, and up come all these headlines. And the Bosnia one was there somewhere, but there were all kinds of them. Uh, one said, uh, the remains of a Roman road which predates Hadrian Wall, Hadrian's Wall has been uncovered in Northumberland. So I checked that out, and you see it on the screen there. At Northumberland is the northernmost county of England. And there's pictures on the screen there of this road. That's in, the, in Northumberland County, England, that they just discovered a cobblestone road that was part of the Roman road network that uh, enabled the kind of transportation and communication to happen under the Roman uh, rule of the Roman Empire. Um, another headline read, new section of famous Roman road discovered in France. Another article said, 2,000-year-old Roman road discovered near Israel's Biet Shemesh, and on and on it goes. And let me read a quote to you. The Roman road system was among the most impressive construction works of ancient times. It, gra- it uh, gradually developed from the center, i.e. Rome, to the borders of the empire with an efficient and more than 120,000 kilometer long network of roads which fulfilled military, administrative, and economic needs, allowing quick communications, trade, and cultural integration. And when you hear that, think gospel travel. Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Acts 1 8, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here, Paul is in Rome. John Stott says Rome was the city of Paul's dreams. He's under house arrest, but people can come and go. And he can share the gospel with people. And he can teach. And he can write letters. Because the word of God is not bound. The adventures of Paul are part of a bigger story. And it's an ongoing story. It's the story of God's high stakes mission through his church to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And it's the same for you and it's the same for me. It's all about the gospel going out. It's all about God reaching out so that people are not left out. So that people get to hear. So that people get to know. Now some will, will reject. Not everybody will respond the way we want them to respond. But at least they'll have the opportunity as we take the gospel. I keep up on a lot of what's happening in our world today. I watch a lot of news and I consume a lot of media, a lot of social media. And a lot of what's happening today is not friendly to the gospel. There is a lot to fret about. And what I'm particularly interested in as I look at our world and, 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 and observe what's going on is, is particularly how it relates to the cause of Christ. That's what I watch for. How does this relate to the cause of Christ? Is it good or is it bad? It's like Josh was saying last week, is it good or is it bad? Because when Paul and his compatriots ended up in that storm and shipwrecked on Malta. You know, I'm sure they're thinking, oh, this is bad. This is bad. Remind me of the old spoof they did on hee-haw. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. Remember that? Some of you are old enough to remember that. That's okay. That's all right. The point is that sometimes it seems like the battle is being lost the battle we sung about in April spoke about earlier. Sometimes it seems like the battle is being lost, and we start wringing our hands. I I do. I, I watch and I'm going, oh man, this is not good. You know, the the, the name of Jesus is mal- being maligned, and the cause of Christ is being opposed. And the book of Acts has been good for me that way, and I hope it's been good for you because. The truth is, is that God's kingdom is coming because Jesus is Lord and the gospel is the hope of the world and the word of God will prevail and you and I can count on it. God has blessed us with the awesome responsibility and privilege to bear that message, his message to a lost and dying world whether people realize it or not, whether they realize that they're lost or not. It's the message of hope, and it's the only message of hope that this world has. And we have the responsibility of bearing it. So as we come to the end of the book of Acts, we're not through the Bible yet. We're going to be talking about some of the letter. We're going to be talking next week about one of the letters Paul wrote while he was under house arrest in Rome. And then we're going to be talking some about the Apostle John after that. And then we're going to be going into the uh, book of Jude and the book of Revelation. Uh, but for today, will you pray with me? Lord in heaven, I thank you for those who are, who are uh, with us today and here in the room and joining us online, but taking the time to go through the scriptures and realizing that your message matters most, and your mission matters most, because the gospel is the only hope for this world. But we thank you, Lord, that, that you will cause your gospel and your word to triumph. And we pray that even now, as your word is proclaimed, that you, by your spirit, would be Convincing men and women, young people and old, of their uh, their sin and their need for Christ, and also showing Jesus to them, Lord, that we would see Jesus uh, high and lifted up on that cross, dying for the sins of the world, rising again, victorious over sin, death, and hell. And the Lord, that we would bear that message, and that Your Holy Spirit would bear witness to the testimony of Your people, to the hope that is found in Jesus alone. And we pray that you would do this great work in and through your church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.